You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Okay, BJ Novak is in this movie. But you... Listen to this, viewers, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so we're, today we're going to be reviewing Inglorious Bastards, Quentin Tarantino's l- latest movie. And BJ Novak is in this movie. Now I'm just going to get his name out of the way here at the beginning. Because Sid Talk didn't really want to mention him when we get to the cast part. Because, let me get this reason straight. And number one You reason. don't say anything. Number one reason. No, no. 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 The number one reason is no, it's, it's minuscule. His okay. part is minuscule. Okay, well, and the big re- the reason she had was... The bigger reason. He's in the office, and she doesn't like his character in the office. And I don't like the things <laughs> I've heard about people mention, how, what a big deal he is, and he's like the hottest uh, writer-director, and it's a big And I've deal. never heard any of that. Oh, I so do on podcasts and stuff, the radio, yeah. And I've never heard any of it. He gets on my nerves, and... I think he plays a real good jerk in the office. Correct. And I, I actually like I like his character in The Office. So, anyway, B.J. Novak's but in this movie. The fact is, he's in this movie like like nothing except that he's B.J. Novak. He's a bastard. Yeah, so are several other people. Okay, so it, this is Sunday, December the 13th, 2009. This is after the show number 100. Now, while that might sound like, oh, that's the big 100 show. No, it's not. We're, what are we going to do? The 104 would be a bigger show. That would be two years. Two years of... So yeah, this is 100. Da, 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 da. And the movie we're going to be looking at this week, as I said earlier, is Inglorious Bastards. That's Inglorious Bastards, both words spelled wrong by Mr. Quentin Tarantino. We're looking at the Blu-ray release, which is a two-disc special edition. And it's going to be released this Tuesday, the 15th of November, uh, by Universal, on Blu-ray and DVD. So you'll be able to pick up a copy then, and you're going to tell us what it's about. Oh. That's a big one. It's got a few little crisscrossing stories, but ultimately it is an alternative universe happening in World War Two, <laughs> or something like that. An alternate retelling of yeah. The Inglorious Bastards are a group of um, American soldiers who are dropped into France during World War Two, World War Two's Germans' occupation of France, and their objective is to, as we've all seen in the trailers, kill Nazis. So we got their story going on. Then you have, um, to me, like the psychological or the something deeper, the telling of what real bastards Nazis really were with the, the story of the young girl and, you know, getting away from Nazis and, you know, she's a French Jewish girl and then basically where her life takes her from there. And at some point, everyone's story's uh, converge on one another. In, in Tarantino yeah. style. And there are, you know, uh, what's it called? Plots, plans, and whatnot to eliminate Nazis and the, the head Nazi. The Fuhrer. The head Nazi guy. Uh, Mr. Hitler. The guy with the mustache. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to be German. <laughs> no, yeah is not German. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Swedish. No, it's it? German. Yeah. And da. nine. Ja and What's nine. da? Uh, Dutch. No, 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 no. Da's not German. Ja and nine. I, I actually went. I actually did German in school. Hans and Lisa Lotti were my best friends. So, 
So I have a hard time pinpointing the Inglorious Bastard story. It is kind of epic and made up. It's fictional. Yeah, yeah. It's not a. Uh, it's not a story. It's that not. You follow. It's not historical. It's. It's fictional and yet it isn't because the sort of reign of terror that. Oh, I mean, it does. Europe. It does use some real. It mm-hmm. uses real people who existed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily how things went down. In fact, it isn't. Correct. That is not the case. And a big portion of it is centered around a cinema in France. Correct. And uh, movies sort of in a... You, you, just watch it. And <laughs> good night, ladies say. and gentlemen. That's what I'm going to say from now on. When, my, when it comes to my turn to describe the movie, I'm going to say, you know what? Just see it. All right, so Inglorious Bastards. Um, I'm possibly one of the biggest Quentin Tarantino fans on the planet I have been since Reservoir Dogs um, I saw it on the th- cinema several times I went to see Pulp Fiction one of the only movies I've ever done this with night after night for several nights with different friends because I wanted them to see it nice. and I sat and watched it over and over and over um, True Romance yeah Natural Born Killers um, even though you know mm-hmm. written by uh so yeah, I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, and purposely, I was gonna we were gonna go and see this one on the theatre because I make a effort to see Paul Thomas Anderson or Quentin Tarantino in the theatres, but we didn't go and see it in the theatres. I'm actually glad we didn't because it's completely fresh. Because I, I I also steered clear of all the media of um of this one. Um, it's Quentin Tarantino's war movie. I mean, it's Quentin Tarantino all over it. It's also it also it's also a lot. One thing I wanted to say is it uses uh, subtitles the majority of the film. You know, most of the film is in German or French, which might put some people off. I say, don't be put off. Um, go with it. You know, just by telling those people now, they're not going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's well, I need to note that because it actually enhances the movie a hundredfold because. I really liked Valkyrie with Tom Cruise and we mentioned it. The only thing I hated and I went into it in depth on that podcast was the horrible accents. Like, everybody sounds British or American. Mostly British. Um, with a German accent. Like or a, not. Not yeah, hor- a German hor- It was horrible anyway. That And it t- takes me completely out of the movie. Now this one, they decided to use French actors and German actors... People who do speak all those languages. So which it's, is awesome. it's completely authentic. It's not somebody trying to do an accent or anything, apart from, in Brad Pitt's case, mm, but time, that's yeah. actually made fun of a little bit. You know, so, no, I think that enhances the movie 100%, um, but I'm not afraid of foreign films. But I really like how he did that, you know, because that's a brave choice, you know, to for a mainstream American movie. To essentially be in a foreign movie. You know? Mm, I disagree with that. I think, I think 80% it. of it is foreign It doesn't language. make it a foreign movie. but Well, it's a foreign cast. Not people you will know. Like, mostly people you don't know. But people who are famous in their own countries. Yeah. You know, you know Brad Pitt. But most of those people... The people who are... You know, this is annoying to me as well. Uh, Brad Pitt... Inglory, his name's on the cover. Just Brad Pitt in the corner. Yeah. It's not. That's Bra- it? Yeah, it just says Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards. Oh, right. It was on the other side. 
um, Quentin Tarantino. Right. So Brad Pitt gets a billion on the cover, but it Brad Pitt is nowhere near the best guy in this. I mean, he's awesome. He is really good, but everyone is equal, I and think, everyone is equally. Good. I think people outshine Brad Pitt as one. Oh, saying. I agree. Um, but their names don't get on the cover because you don't know who they are. Correct. You wouldn't, you know. I don't know the name of the guy. We, um, Christoph Waltz. The guy who played. If it the... said Christoph Waltz on the cover, you you're not gonna get. You're not gonna go. Ooh, oh yeah, the guy who Christoph Landa. Waltz. Oh my so, god. What I'm awesome. saying is the case is, it's almost a European movie snuck into an American slot. Hmm. Which I disagree I, with you, but which I think Tarantino is really brave to do that. I think. And I'm sure it put a lot of cinema goers off. I'm sure there will be a fraction of people who go and go, oh, Yeah, because this isn't like uh, tread lightly on the subtitles either. There's a lot of talking. So it's not like it's like a one-line thing and a one-line thing. Mm. You, It actually moves faster than most subtitles I've ever seen because his movies are heavily dialogued anyway, so you got to get in the flow of it. Sometimes in a conversation... Where you've got German people and French people speaking. You've even got a German person speaking and a French person interpreting to a French person who's trying to speak, you know, trying to... You have... you. It's not like a lazy kind of... It's not like it cuts down on the dialogue at all. You just got to keep up. The funny thing with me and subtitles is because I, I'm British and we have a lot of foreign... Foreign language. I'm doing air quotes. Foreign language movies on TV in Britain. Like, we get a lot of French movies... And a lot of German movies on just on television, you know? So subtitles are kind of... Uh, some people complain about subtitles and say, I can't follow it. Oh, yeah. To me, they're... And, and I read fast anyway. To me, they're kind of automatic. Like, um, I don't even have to think about them. Because of... Now, I can imagine a lot of American audiences who are not subjected to... Foreign language know, movies. At all. In fact, there's a joke made on in the movie about... Countries learning different languages and what do Americans, do Americans even learn? know any other languages? Yeah. <laughs> Which is Generally, kind of, no. It's kind of funny and a good observation. Mm-hmm. So you know, and not to dwell on the language thing, but I thought it was awesome that it was in authentic language. And I think Valkyrie would have been an absolutely better film. It would have, been, it would have topped thing. it off to be an awesome it movie. Would. Yeah, that was just what ruined it. So Quentin Tarantino. Well, the point was, I'm a big fan. I was. After a, I was, let me say, I was mind blown by this film completely. I, I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Like, I knew he was doing a war film. See, I, I disagree with that that phrase. It's not a war film. I think of Saving no, Private no, Ryan. No, he, as a war he film. said in his own words, "I am my next movie will be a war film." This was years ago, right? So all I knew really was he was making a war film. Then he announced it was Inglorious Bastards. And I'm familiar with the subject matter of the original Inglourious Bastards, and I was thinking, that's interesting. If it's going to be a remake of that weird '70s cheap '18-looking, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, not, yeah. not a good film. But, and I thought it was just going to be a remake of that. So I'm thinking, oh, I wonder how Tarantino would stamp that. I can kind of see what he would do with it. It's kind of a Kill Bill war thing. It wasn't. It wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be, which was an absolute surprise to me and it was way better than I thought it would be because even the trailer kind of misleads you a little bit the trailer for this movie forget the part where Brad Pitt's just doing his little speech mm. the other parts interspersed the action-y parts it's not really an action movie this movie not to me no 
In fact, it's not an action movie at all, like Pulp Fiction isn't an action movie either. Well, he considers the last third of the movie an action movie, so where'd he go if, you, if he's the one Well, there's action scenes, but I don't think those are the scenes that are really the payoff. I think the payoff are the dialogue scenes. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this movie has like an opening scene that lasts about 20 minutes. It's one of the most gripping things I've <sighs> ever seen. I was honestly... I was, like, hanging onto my blanket. My stomach was churning. Yeah, it's... And, it's and just, this is all down in parts of this one guy, really, who... Well, both of those dudes in that scene were Yeah, awesome. but, I mean, this guy... I, you kind... It's, it's a real subtle performance, you know, from him approaching... He's a Nazi. Yeah, a Nazi guy <laughs> approaching a, a farmhouse. Um, even the approach, they're coming up on, like, a sidecar and a motorbike and a truck. And you feel this for foreboding thing and you can't even see him yet nope nothing and then as soon as he appears and he's kind of Mr. Nice Guy yep uh, very personable but you immediately understand that no he's not really yeah because the performance of the French guy who owns the farm it yeah. tells everything yeah it's really clever scene isn't it he's total. he's already like fuck it's not <laughs> like oh it's my not God. 100% it's, it's actually a tribute to Tarantino his filmmaking because he doesn't tell you a lot, um, it, visually or anything. Just it's just a vibe that you get. I, I don't know if it's the music or the because there isn't even much music in that scene. Performances this performance. are a huge part, and the I mean, subtle things, not even speaking part. Speaking, no. um, it's it's that whole scene. Once they get in the house, I am tense. It's basically a dialogue scene with two men at a breakfast table. Um, at a table. Yeah. Um, talking to each other. One's an SS officer and another guy is a guy... He's a French farmer. A French farmer who could be, you know... Well, the to, guy's looking to, for could Jewish be to, people. Yeah, he could be up to no good, right? What do you mean no good? Well, in, the, in a Nazi's eyes, hiding. Oh, right, right, right. No, I mean, he's just a Nazi who's looking for Jews across the countryside. Yeah. So he's kind of interrogating this guy, but in this weird... Not interrogating, Bureaucratic... Very friendly. Thank you for welcoming me into your home. I'll have a glass of milk. And blah, then he blah, drinks blah. the milk all weird. And... It's just, it's really good. I was, like, my gut was, I actually felt. And it's like a really well-crafted scene. Um, and like I said, they don't, he doesn't spell everything out for you, but you immediately understand it. And, you know, and this actual scene, like we said earlier, is going on in um, French. And then there's this really awesome moment where the where the officer says I'm not going to speak in French this is about as much as this bad French that I can do I'm going to use English from now on do you speak English? and then they both start speaking English which completely kind of you as an audience member an English speaking audience member it kind of puts a bit of relief on you for some second yes it did oh my god exactly and that I don't know if that was the intention of it but I was kind of like Okay, now they speak in my language, and then and then it eventually goes back to speaking. You know, it's really weird. It, is, it was really good. Good way to do it. Yeah, it's though it's a, I don't know, it was an amazing moment. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that either. You know, like uh, you're just all torqued up, like with this tension, and then you because you're reading and reading and reading and and trying not to miss anything that they're saying because he's so intriguing and creepy and scary but in a pleasant way and the farmer guy is just so defeated already 
and then all of a sudden you don't have to read anymore, and you're just you can just sort of listen, and you're like, oh god. Okay. Now, Academy Award season. If that guy, oh my god, totally does not get any nods. This or the girl, the woman too. When we talk about yeah, her, the French that guy woman, though, brilliant. That's a performance above anything I've seen for a long time. Like I agree, and you know, some people might say no, it's kind of a, but brilliant. no, it's, yeah, it's one of those. Like, he performs in every language, in English, French, and German, even in Italian. Yeah, As you said, this guy, I think, this guy speaks four languages. I'm like, okay, we've had French, German, and, and English. And what else is... And then he starts talking Italian. I'm like, holy crap, you know. And, you know, he's absolutely convincing at all of those things. Yep. And that's, you know, that's not, that's a skill in itself, but that doesn't make you a good actor. It's just the way he delivers it. I have to say, I love the movie overall completely, but he, I couldn't... As much of an asshole as he is, I could not wait each time to see what his new what he was going to be bringing to it. I mean, he, he, he actually, actually goes through um, phases in the movie too. Like he's he can be real dark and menacing, or he can be real personable and light-hearted. He can almost be like farcical at some points. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Where you kind of like, whoa! But that's him. Like that, this character is like. So far gone. Yeah, so tightly wound by this yeah. whole what his responsibilities are, and then a little bit leaks out now and then with this sort of like flip, yeah, it kind like, of flips a little, um, um, unravels a little. It's almost you know this 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 movie's so much. There's so much to this movie, <laughs> there is. but this guy is a thing in himself in this movie that just I agree. Um, and this movie's not you know he's he's a very small part of this movie in the overall scheme of things because the movie covers a lot of ground doesn't it and it's in Tarantino's style where he does the act one chapter two yeah. you know like in, like in Kill Bill and like in Pulp Fiction and like in Jackie Brown the same with the title cards so that immediately comforts me kind of because I like Tarantino's style and I was like oh wow he even do you feel like this is kind of a, like a growing up Tarantino like each time you see his movies it's like refined more and more. I, I mean, think, it's I pretty much it, in your face. This isn't like a tame little talkie or anything like that. But I mean, he's taken all the things that he does that are outrageous, pulled it in a lot. I mean, you see a couple of uh, vulgar, violent things. No, but overall, it's oh. all about. He's much more. Um, I don't know. Like the vibe thing is stronger now. He doesn't have to do as much overt violence or overt. Kind of big character moments um, that he's done in other movies. You know, and, and it's not the the movie does have signature Tarantino moments. It, it does have slow motion walking towards the camera with music stuff. It does have moments that I see as you know. I'm like, yes, I can see a tar- this is a Tarantino movie because he likes to. He's a, obviously a film fan. He likes moments in. Yeah, films that we've never even seen. Emotional or we'll wrenching ever know. things. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, he he watches films that we may never see. He watches, you know, Italian movies from the thirties, <laughs> and, and he gets into everything. Like, so he brings all kinds of stuff that you're not familiar with. I mean, Kill Bill, for instance. I'm not. I'm in, I don't know much about samurai films and stuff, but he kind of brought his version. There's a bit of the bride and the uh, the French woman. I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, is and a even revenge moments thing, of and, yeah, yeah. And there's moments in this movie where you feel kind of a Kill Bill vibe or a Pulp Fiction vibe. There's just... I don't even know what he does. Where he... But then there are the moments where, like, she's in the cafe and the soldier guy comes in just to chat with her. And it all of that 
Tarantino tension kind of melts away. And it's beautifully acted. The dialogue is perfect. It's like like you kind of go, oh, for a minute. Because you're, there's nothing forcing any big uh, set piece or anything in your face. It's just these two people and kind of talking. But not in that quick Tarantino round table kind of talking thing. It's just really good... He can write Brief. dialogue. Does yeah, not yeah, that... but it's not that kind of quibby, sort of like knock, 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 knock kind of dialogue. No. It's just a really well done scene, and it's all down to the people. He writes it well. Um, he but chooses the people. He chooses people that, that, in that scene in particular, I was like, I could have a whole movie just about these two characters and sort of the the sort of dilemma of this whole thing, her being who she is and him being SS officer and all that. And play it out like that without all of the big pieces or the plots or anything. And I, and I was that, totally sucked into it. And that's one of the things, like, Jackie Brown's one of my favorite um, Tarantino films. A lot of people don't share that. <laughs> A lot of people don't like Jackie Brown, but I really do. And one of the reasons is Robert Foster, who I absolutely did not know, know anything about until that movie. Most people probably didn't even though he was a anonymous famous kind of guy. Right. He'd, been in, he'd been in all kinds of stuff and you you definitely would have seen him. But Tarantino has a some kind of way of choosing people who he's seen and knows they're good, but maybe not seen them in something really good and making them good. Like right, that. right. I mean, like, here's a part for you. Like that guy Brad Pitt? Yeah. Well, like, you know, Brad Pitt, we, yeah. But, like, here's a part. never been anything good before. But he just decided to make... <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but, like, you know, he, he finds the right person, doesn't he? Um, he has a knack of it. And, you know, you could say in this movie, well, you know, they're all speaking different languages. How do we know it's good? Well, you do. Oh, you know, yeah, you know. He, the way I mean, it's my God. delivered it Totally. Is. Now, so, there is a, also, you know, there's, we've just mentioned about the big long scene at the beginning which is awesome there's also another scene that Tarantino himself said lasts about 30 minutes which is another it's a classic Tarantino dialogue it's not about the action no no there is some action but that's actually nothing compared to what comes before it before the action it's about this whole movie even most of the scenes tension through intimidation Kind of subtle intimidation with dialogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's and, kind of what Nazis did. <laughs> sort of like people are um, undercover or um, trying to pretend to be something they're not. And they're right in the face of someone who could uh, Blow see it through up. it and yeah. basically just kill them on the spot for no... I mean, that's kind of was the tension in that kind of situation. Was, so you're you know? absolutely on the edge of your seat. Like, that enti- that, the 30-minute sequence in the middle of the movie that I just talked about... I was on the edge of my seat from the second they walked into that place. Cause I, but then the weird thing that happens is, as they settle into the little card game, you settle in. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, then you, then it kind of boils back up again. And you're like, holy shit, I have to remember what is going on here. And what's going on here? And one of the things, and I, not a lot of filmmakers do it, and I don't know what it's about, is Tarantino has um, a way of, like, nobody does a 30-minute dialogue scene these days. Because, mm-hmm. like, of the ADD generation where we have to have, like, quick cuts and the story has to keep moving and it's got to be 90 minutes. Well, nobody does what he does. Now, Paul Thomas Anderson does. Um, you know, there's long scenes in There Will Be Blood. That we, I mean, there's just long dialogue scenes that work really well. Kevin Smith should. 
Because he can, and yeah, he, he has, doesn't. but he doesn't. Yeah, but, I, you know, this 30-minute scene, which is like a movie in itself, just this entire scene. If, if it ended at the end of this scene, you would feel like you've seen a full movie. Nobody does it, and why? Like, you know, I mean, this movie wasn't... It's two hours and 30 minutes. Wow. It's not particularly... It's not mega long. I mean, it's not like a four-hour... Kill Bill, isn't it? That's you pretty know? long, though, when you can, can when you think that. But didn't it feel like thirty minutes to you? Because it did to me. I was no, like, no, I, I felt the meat of it. I felt like it was good size so and good I, epic. I, I, I didn't want it to end. When you get that feeling, like, yeah. oh, it's gonna end. I didn't want it to, but I also felt the story was told exactly right. So there was nothing more we could have had out of it. No, no. Do you really. know what I mean? There's nothing could have kept carrying on or go on or do any more. It was it was told in a way that was ready to be over. And it. You know, it has that awesome crisscrossing of which I absolutely love about that you can do that with characters. You know, if I made a movie, my characters would crisscross each other. You mean like over here's one story, over there's one story, yeah. over there's another, like your uh, Magnolia yeah. type <laughs> pastiage, is that what or, you call it? You know, love actually, or something where there's or shortcuts where yeah. there's key players and pass cross Jackie Brown, even even Correct. The same. Um, I love that idea. Pulp fiction. You know that. You know, you, I like the idea of seeing it from different angles than seeing. And this is what this movie is. It's perfect in that hmm. way. True romance, Jackie Brown. Well, Taran, Taran <laughs> he's got to think about that, doesn't he? Even, you could even say Natural Born Killers, which he wrote. Hmm. You know, has the crisscrossy thing because it's told from different angles and then all. Um, but no, this is. You know, there's a line in the movie where Brad Pitt turns to the camera and says. I think this could be my masterpiece. And I said to you, I think that's Quentin Tarantino talking to the audience. Because, you know... You think it is? I actually think it is, and I've never heard... But it just felt like it to me, because it's at the moment of the movie where you are, like, blown away by it. I mean, at that point, because, you know, the credits are going to roll, aren't they? I mean, it's right near the end. So you think back on the whole thing, and you're like, holy crap, that was a good movie, you know? I mean, it's better than a good movie. It is better. It's way better than a good yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's right up there with, like... The other thing is, though, I can totally see why people would hate it. I can totally understand why people who are... They don't have patience. They don't dig a little deeper behind what is... good. You know what I mean? They don't have the patience to go through that 20-minute and 30-minute scene and really get why it's important to flush out all those things about all those characters. You know what I mean? Those people will hate it. Subtitles make them hate it. Oh, God, another uh, World War II movie. That's going to make them hate it. Some people don't like Brad Pitt. That's going to make... You know what I mean? I can see all the reasons people can come up with. So that's fine with me. Let's filter out all the people who will refuse to watch it or refuse to get it. And if you really do enjoy it and like and it's hard to well, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. I will be if when I you, had actual response, physical responses to it. I love that. And I do with every Tarantino movie. It's not a this isn't an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. They they all do that to you. From Reservoir Dogs, they all have something about them that is. Mm, I've not seen this before. When the bride's trying to get out, she's buried yeah. alive, and she's all Pulp Fiction trying to get out of the where, coffin. You're just like. Oh, like all or fiction where she overdoses and they stabbing yes. a thing in her heart. You know what I mean? It's all there's always something in there that like is unique. Seems and unique. I feel like now he's before it was. I mean, a lot of his movies are more heavy on those 
in your face kind of whoa moments. Whereas now you're he's peeling that back a little bit and they stand out more because there's less of them. Do you see what I'm saying? It's very like I try and I'm, I'm I, you know I've obviously seen all of his work and I, I'm trying to think which is my favorite and I can't do that really. Because Pulp Fiction actually has a hold on me in some way. Like that old guy said on that. It was like a drug to him, like Pulp Fiction. And it was to me, and it still is. Like, I can sit and watch it. You know. But this is like... This one. And I think you're right. It's... It's on a higher level than those. And I don't know what that is exactly. It just... You know, because it's still just a fun... I mean, it deals with some... Very dark and dark very and, serious yeah, things. Yeah, and violence. and But it also has a fun take to it. Like It has a thing like, kind of like he was saying in the extra, World War Two is like a blight on all of our, of our history. It's going to be for hundreds of years, right? Particularly for German people, anyone who's German. I mean, he said this, not me. That screening the, sh- the movie, screaming the sh- screening the show, screening the movie in Germany for some of the people that he was around... It was like, you know, he's like, I know it's another World War II movie, Germans are bad. But at some point, they, re- they kind of like, because of the way he does it, it's like they could shed all of the heaviness of it. Like, we get, we know, we know, it sucked, and he was German, and he was a fucker. But it's look, more of a... There's, there's the cathartic thing about, like... Almost maybe like a comic taking, book tale taking place in those... Like, Pulp Fiction is like a, supposed to be like a 50s novel... Kind of fun, kind of thing, yeah. but mixed with violence. But not with and, the biggest issue of like. No, you know, but the, but there is almost like a fa- like I said, farcical, fun, action. Even though I said it wasn't an action movie, there are parts where it's. It, there's like a weird guttural thing, and I'm not saying this because I'm American, but there are a lot of movies. Say, for example, Aliens, or a lot of second movies, or a lot of movies where there's a big thing going on, and the okay. Uh, Independence Day, stuff like that, where the Americans come in, guns a blazing, and they're like, kick everybody's ass and like bring them down, right? And uh, people cheer and like, yeah, whatever. That sort of mentality. And I'm sure British has a little bit of that too, where you've got the you know, more civilized society and you're going to come in and save the day. Where there is a British scene in this too, where the British people are sort of involved in trying to bring down Hitler. And there's something that rouses you when you're thinking, here's this asshole, Hitler. And here comes the more civilized people, the British, the American, and we're going to come in and just, like, kick his ass. Even me. And I'm not even like that. unless you, But you get that feeling, like, you know, maybe I can't do it myself, but I'd like to see somebody else try. And then this movie with, like, sort of outrageous people and outrageous yeah, it's situations. It's not Schindler's List. <laughs> exactly. Right, if you want to see that, you go it's see Schindler's List. Or if you want to see another you know, war movie that's got... I mean, this is as deep, though. Because it, to me, it made me think about living there and the the constant threat of everything. You know what I mean? Like, if you just lived in Germany, France, Poland, and here come the Nazis, your life basically is shit. Because you're just waiting for the hammer to fall. If, if you're Jewish, if you're not Jewish, if you do the wrong thing, if you say the wrong thing. And that that seems like, oh my god, I can't even imagine it. So this movie made me think of that. Now, it's a Tarantino movie, and yet it kind of seeped in something a little bit uh, deeper. And it also, like, touches on... Because uh, Tarantino's, like, a big film fan, obviously. It also touches on cinema mm-hmm. and the Nazi propaganda 
movies that they totally, made. Totally, yeah, yeah. Which is something that he's obviously fascinated in. And it's incorporated into the movie in a way that it's not gratuitous. It's like, it's a layer on a layer on a layer. Like if It's you know, so funny that you just said that. Because what I just said about you get the feeling of, yeah, we're going to come and kick ass, that's propaganda. Any movie yeah. I've ever seen where, you know, as a, you know, as an American and we're the ones who go in and save the day or whatever, you get that little thing, like, yeah, especially if the bad guy's, like, really Patriot, bad. Patriotism. You know, like, even uh, Die Hard, you know, you want, <laughs> you want uh, what's-his-face to, like, you know, knock him what's off a building, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's propaganda. That's, like, nationalistic bullshit anyway. Like, oh, yes, we're great because we can defeat a fictional bad guy. But in this movie, he's not a fictional bad guy. No. So you kind of get that tingle of, like, yeah. Why don't we have any Vietnam movies like that, I guess? It's not really that too soon, maybe? What, you mean like Apocalypse Now? <laughs> that wasn't not much of a triumphant movie. <laughs> There's no, like, woo going no. on. <laughs> maybe maybe I saw the wrong cut, but uh, that didn't seem like a big... There wasn't much triumph. Though, no, no, it? no, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, in fact. <laughs> Just lots of Vietnamese people killing Americans. Oh my god, that is... Yeah, I need to see that again. I've only seen it once. Apocalypse Now, amazing. It's one of those that really draws you in. It's, a, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Even now, like, you know, many years, you know, 40 years later, it's filmmaking perfect. It's perfect. It looks looks amazing. The budget wasn't mega, like, for it in its day. But it even it stands up like it's a strange movie. And it captures a time, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to... So overall there on the movie, <laughs> this movie, there's so many things. We didn't give anything away, really, which was kind of cool. There's so much to it. It's multi-layered. Make sure you concentrate on it when you watch it. Don't, like, flit in and out of the room making a drink out every two minutes. Cause Don't have your kids a, in the room. No, it's a sit down and be lost in the movie. And Tarantino, you know... He, He's growing as a filmmaker. Um, I, it's hard for me to say which is my favorite, but this is really. If this doesn't get mentioned in the Oscars, or at least something, something that guy particularly, yeah, or Tarantino for a direction. It's like it. Even the. Even I don't the, think. I don't think they would. I think they just can't get over him. Do you know what I mean? But even the. Even the look of this movie, the DP, like, uh, whoever was... Well, I saw him on the extras, the guy with the grey hair, the DP guy. The movie looks great, too. I mean, it's... Tarantino doesn't necessarily have a distinct style. You can't say, oh, yeah, he does this or that. But it's rich. Yeah. Every set, everything is Camera movements are interesting. There was a moment where it spun around once, which I... I actually had to look away a little bit. It went so fast and around, but I guess that was supposed to be a... I don't know. It was a visual flare yeah. thing wasn't it um, visual flare and, I, and I, when it was happening and I, I have a, it's a pet peeve of mine when they go around the car. and two people are talking and the camera spins around and around them yeah. like around and around yeah. uh, we've seen just, it over and over and over irritating. but for some reason I was watching it and I was like oh it's Tarantino <laughs> it's okay it's alright <laughs> <laughs> oh man he can do he can't do it all the time this that is a problem his... because that means you're not being objective you're mm. being emotional yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what I was saying, you can't. No, I don't want him to do it in every scene, and he and he's, he did it in Reservoir Dogs also around the table, but slower, slower. Yeah. This, this one was, was pretty fast. Yeah, it was. Um, so let's move on to the cast of this fine movie. Um, we've covered a couple already. Yeah, we've got Brad Pitt as Lieutenant Aldo Rain, who plays the head of the bastards, 
who I wants his Nazi scalps. And he wants his Nazi scalps, and he's going to get them. He, um, you know, he's good. Bra- we had <laughs> Brad Pitt last week on Fight Club. We reviewed Fight Club. Um, I don't think people don't like him or whatever. I I have nothing like that. I, I can't I like even it. imagine why. But then people can't understand why I might not like BJ Novak. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think he does a good job in everything. And this one was, you know, it, you could say his character's kind of cartoonish almost, or it's kind of. Uh, you wouldn't say that because there are people like that. Yeah, he there are them. people like that. Yeah, totally. He does like a even a physical kind of does uh, the thing, and he does a little mumbly thing a little bit when he gets a bit talking kind of fast and kind of rumble, yeah. you know. And it's totally it's really good though. And then they even make fun of the character in the movie, which is also that he is a one track, one purpose, American one way kind of guy. Well, not just American. He's he is who he is. He's a hundred percent. This is what I'm here to do, and that is it. It's kind of, it's kind of funny because he's like undercover at one point, pretending to be Italian. Italian. It's quite a funny scene, I thought. Um, so yeah, Brad Pitt is in this movie, and he's the only person mentioned on the front cover, and that is completely wrong. Yeah, totally. Because this guy, uh, Christoph Waltz, that is a money decision, so that seems unfair. Yeah. Well, this guy, Christoph Waltz, who plays uh, Colonel Hans Lander. For me, is that he runs away with the movie, like because his character is so. It's it's not only a, it's also a really well written character. Oh yeah, you know, but I don't I don't know who else could do it. I mean, this guy just seemed like he was that guy. Yeah, you never. It's a weird statement to make. Like no one else could do it because you don't know. You would never. Well, would. a number of different people could do it. What I'm saying is, this guy. It, like when Tarantino says he writes for a character and he had this guy in mind obviously he knows this guy from you know this guy's a famous German actor he fits perfectly I mean and, and the, it's more than a performance it's like he is that guy you saw what I'm saying yes it's more than just a guy reading some lines oh he's because it's physical as well like everything about him and you have to think in this movie when you really peel it all like look at everything he does represent the Third Reich in every scene, nobody else does the talking hardly. We even get a Hitler scene, but he does represent the entirety of this German Third Reich dominating bullshit thing, and he's it. He he has to take on that. So in every scene he's in, which are all very very different, uh-huh. in one scene he's trying to he's always uh, investigating things and looking into. He's the security officer basically for Hitler's thing in France. So that was his role, right? But he just... You ha- you are reminded every time he kicks in with his weirdness about the joy he gets from hunting Jewish people, from the, you know, like the evil stuff that he does. He's just bizarre. You're reminded of the big picture of what he represents. And I think that's what, you know, you're not just... I'm just not focused on him. I'm thinking, oof, there's a whole army of him out there. That's yeah. what was freaking me out. And it, but he's also like a the character is also like infamous, alright. You know, people know him. Who he is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a nickname, the Jew Hunter. He's infamous. You know, people far and wide have heard of this right. guy. So uh, also the some of the bastards are also known in that way. So there's a, there's an interesting parallel there. Both sides having these infamous characters who word of mouth has got out about who they are and what they do. Yeah. So. Yeah, that guy, if he doesn't get nominated for Academy Awards, something's gone wrong there. And he probably won't because... 
People are stupid. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so then we've got Melanie Laurent as show. What is that? Show's Shoshanda. Sa- Shoshanda Dreyfus. Shoshana. Now she's the lady who runs the cinema in the movie, which I don't want to give too much away. No, but she's she runs fantastic. She's French. She's a French actress. Fantastic. I mean, I can't even describe to you the men- the number of moments when I am completely transfixed, and she's not even saying anything. She's sitting there listening to someone speaking German and someone translating for her in French and her reactions and her looking... Yeah, that whole scene she's where she's brilliant. sat at the table with some of the heads of the SS. And she's there... She's kind of there... Kind of drug along. Yeah, right? and the reaction she's having to what they're saying without saying anything... You're right, without yeah. saying anything. You you know exactly where she stands You've at like the crawled time. in her pocket because you feel so yeah. small and kind of like that tension thing that she's in peril but you don't know exactly how or why or what's going to happen and she's just sitting there like Yeah. I thought she was brilliant. Every single thing that she did. She's was, actually like one of the real big stars of it. Like, you know, and Yeah, totally. I mean, she her character's very pivotal. Like, it's a big, you know, big part of it. Um then we've got Eli Roth as uh, Sergeant Donny Donovitz. I wanted to mention Eli Roth because Eli Roth's a friend of Quentin Tarantino's and the only reason, really, that the Hostel movies became popular is because they were called Quentin Tarantino Presents Hostel. And that's how Hostel was marketed at the time. Oh, I never heard of that. Well, that's how it was. That we that's how it was marketed on TV. Everything Quentin Tarantino Presents Hostel because hmm. Quentin Tarantino had seen Hostel in one of these. Uh, indie film festivals really liked it and put his name behind it and that's how Hostel became Hostel you know and mm. what the Hostel that everybody's seen and likes um, so this guy's the director of that liking is a strong word for that one <laughs> I really like that movie and um, <laughs> is again I think Tarantino saw this it's like nothing you'd ever seen at Correct. that time um, not just because it was gruesome and stuff, just the whole the vibe of it, the, the idea. The mental yeah. of it. Um, Hostel 2 wasn't as good, but hey. Uh, but this guy, Eli Roth, also directed one of the shorts in the Grindhouse Quentin Tarantino um, deal. Quentin Tarantino and Robert oh, Rodriguez, Rodriguez deal. So he gets a part in this movie. Now, it's not a huge part, but then again, you could say it's... It is a huge part because some events transpire that's pretty is he epic. The one with the yeah, and the was that him? Yeah, right, right. Donny Donovitz, right. And right. he has this really amazing entrance where he's like with, with the bat noise. Yeah, I really love that. And you're I like, thought, come on already, come out of the tunnel. It's, yeah, it's like you know he's infamous for being one of the bastards who don't say it. We'll just let him. Let it. He's a violent guy. Yeah, let it unfold. But the, that whole sequence with the clicking and the that yeah, yeah. it's really good. But anyway, um, it's not a huge part, but I like that Tarantino put him in there. Because Plus, he directed the film that's in the film. There's a film within a film we also neglected to mention in this movie. Yeah, that he directed, which is I made a guess on that one. You and did. I was right. Um, so that, then there's Diane Kruger. There's so many people in this movie who are good. Diane Kruger plays Bridget von Hammersmack. Hammer's Mark. And she is Not a smack. <laughs> German actress of the time. Who is the... Uh, she's the 
young lady from National Treasure movies. Yeah, and she's really good in this. She's very good. And in National Treasure movies, I always just thought... Oh, no, see, she's my favorite thing about National Treasure. Oh, totally. And in this one, every single thing that she's got to do, be the charming and the funny and the, um, you know, we won't go into what her whole role is, but then when she's also sort of like taken down and she's... I just think she's really natural, really good. Yeah, she's good. Um, And... And she speaks German. <laughs> yeah, she does. She's German. She does. Uh, she's really good. Um, and then another one, another a famous face, well, kind of, Mike Myers. Yeah. Now, Mike Myers plays uh, General Ed Fennick, who's like a British general mm. who is, you know, it's a very small part. It's obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously a day like on the side. works like high up management kind of with Churchill. He's got a bit of a rubber latex work yeah. going on so you kind of don't go oh look that's Mike Myers 100% but and I thought he was good too I was thinking when Mike Myers came on it would kind it of be it was a bit farcical let's it was supposed to be though I think yeah yeah he said it was because yeah, it's yeah. exposition yeah it's explaining to you what's about to happen and yeah. Quentin Tarantino doesn't like that so he wanted to make it a bit like funny-ish. Off, off the wall kind of because you know because let's scene... be honest all I can hear is yeah. Hey, baby. And you this know, is quite a serious scene. And I mean, this is a scene that even as Winston Churchill sat in the background while he's giving this. So, you know, it's... But it's it's not delivered in 100% Mike Myers' way is what I'm saying. And it's... Kind of. No, it's not like Fat Bastard came on the set or... No. But um, I liked him. I didn't... I was thinking, oh my God, I've seen him in the trailer. Mike Myers is in there and he looks kind of a bit funny. He's, it's probably going to be stupid. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't like, oh, okay. So, and it's really small. It's literally like a three-minute scene, probably. Um, and then last but not least, I put Sylvester Sylvester Groth as Joseph Goebbels, who is the, you know, Hitler's third man, is he, or the second man? He's the man who was in charge of all of the propaganda. Propaganda movies. Like and a, he's the one who took over the German cinema department, or the... In, some countries have, not like America or England, they have a national cinema. It's part of the government, and it's ran by the government. So you don't make a movie or get money for equipment or anything without the government giving you money. He took over that, stopped all filmmaking, and had only movies made in real life of what they wanted movies to Which be. Which is what a lot of this movie's about. And yeah. he, you know, is the crux in that. He's, and this movie that's been the movie... It's a with- delusional thing too, doesn't he? He's got yeah. a bit of a grandeur. Delusions of grandeur. The, the position he's in and the power he's got is kind of gone to his head a little And then he bit. just seems like a pretentious twat. So you're like, oh, God, these guys were in charge? And he plays it perfectly, <laughs> Very though. good. He's you very... Know, and he even he's has, creepy. And... He even has to sit next to Hitler in some scenes and... Yeah, and when he's in a scene on his own, he's the big shot. And then when he's in a scene by Hitler, you, you see him... He does a really good job of making it appear he know he knows his place kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Now, there's loads and loads of people in this movie. Tons I mean, people. even, we only mentioned like two or three of the bastards there, but there's a bunch of them guys. Um, but we covered the main ones, I think. Um, but for me, Christoph Waltz is my... Uh... I agree. No, this is directed by Quentin Tarantino. We've mentioned it 50 times. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Jackie Brown, Death Proof, Reservoir Dogs. He wrote Natural Born Killers. He wrote, What's your he least wrote True Romance. Favorite I, Quentin I, Tarantino? I don't even have one. They're all... Like, even the ones that he didn't direct, like Natural Born Killers, I love them. 
Um, You're smitten. True Romance. I love that one. You uh, didn't direct that one. True Romance is one of my favourite movies of all time. Now, you know, what would Natural Bone Killers and True Romance have been if he would have directed them? Would they have been different? Would they have been... Mm. Probably. Natural Bone Killers, probably. Yeah. Because Oliver Stone... Oliver Stone has a style. Took it a certain way, that one, didn't he? Um, Who directed True Romance? Tony Scott. Right, so... But, you know, written by Quentin. Quentin must have a lot of money. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, there's like, gee, many He's one of the most revered people in Hollywood, it seems to me, also. Like, revered and people are repulsed by him at the same time. And then he's a pop culture icon. He appears on, like, American Idol and stuff like that. You know, and he's, in Trivial like, Pursuit and in, like, oh, you know. Hollywood Squares. And, you know, he's like. He's not on Hollywood Squares. He's been on Hollywood Squares. No way. Yes, he has. And he's oh, like, my God. He's like a. He likes everything. Like he, to yeah. me, he's like he's a pop culture dude. Like people he, might not know he's been on an American Idol as a judge. Yeah, as a judge on the X Factor, even he's, which is the English. But he was on there too. Was he or was he in Australia? No, he was on uh, X Factor. Right. So yes, people, we watch American Idol, X Factor, and Australian Idol. Correct. <laughs> so um, we're very well cultured. So let's uh, look at the extras on the uh, disc. Uh, do you like the cover? It's um, a baseball bat with a German helmet hanging from it. Kind of sums up the movie. Yeah, but the thing is, you have to focus to see what it is. I like, you know what I mean? Mm. Unless... I um, I don't like the fact that it's Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards, though. I think that's... Rude. I mean, yes, you Rude. have to sell it somehow, but... Come on. If this is it, when it's you pick gonna, this, that's going to sell that movie to people who will not like it. When you pick this up in Germany, does Let's it does it have the other people's names? Probably, probably right. Okay, so yeah, and even as picture about it as the main thing on the back. So extras on this, it's a two-disc Blu-ray. One is a digital copy, um, but there are a bunch of extras on the movie itself. Now, first, you've got extended and alternate scenes. There's three scenes in total, and they're actually all really interesting. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not deleted, they're extended versions of, what, of what's in the movie. But the one in particular, where they're at the table with Goebbels, and he's talking about movies uh, about with the lady. Mm-hmm. I really like that one, because mm-hmm. it added a whole depth of stuff that was missing. Totally. Um, and then there's a roundtable discussion. It's not exactly a roundtable discussion. It's like not, not, there's no roundtable. That's what you call it. Um, with Elvis Mitchell, who I have no idea who he is, but he's the interviewer. Um, and Tarantino and Brad Pitt. I actually really liked the interview apart from the Elvis Mitchell guy. Yeah, he's so... Oh, man. It's pretentious, isn't it? A little pretentious Hollywoodness. Now, I don't know... It's know. like they knew him like they were his best friend, though. No, not like everybody's friends. I mean, but they're familiar they, with him. They, they definitely all talked before. He wasn't like a one-minute interviewer guy who, you know, they sit in a room and everybody comes in one minute. This was one like minute. a this was like a thirty-minute deal, anyway, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. I yeah, like. It I always like listening to Tarantino talk. Anyway, he always has something interesting to say, and they do cover quite a few things on the film. Then there's the making of Nation's Pride, which is kind of like a mockumentary that's like a few minutes long. It's Eli Roth humming it up, pretending to be. The director of the movie. The, the director movie. of the movie within the movie, back in back in right. or whatever. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I could you could have lived it off for me. Yeah, uh, and then there is a conversation with Rod Taylor. There's like a couple of conversations with Rod Taylor. That's the guy. See who is he? He's the guy who he plays. Um, in the movie, he plays Winston Churchill. Right, but I mean, why? Why is he a big deal? Because he's 
been in a lot of stuff and Tarantino loved him or something. That's what he said, right? Rod Taylor. Yeah, R.O.D. Taylor. We'll have a look. But anyway, this this is the guy that plays Winston Churchill in the movie, which isn't a mega role anyway. It's like a literally two minutes. Um, has he been in lots of famous stuff? He's been in lots of movies. Um, oh yeah, look at all them. Well, Tarantino's a fan of him, and he the the conversation with him is basically him telling how Tarantino, you know, got him to be in the movie. Um, and there's a couple of. Uh, interviews with him now additional features there's uh, Nation's Pride which is the film within the film uh, did you like that one? watching the film? yeah the, so like there is a film yeah, where, there's the a propaganda is... film in the film and I thought that watching the film on its own was actually awesome because in the movie you don't really see it yeah, it's only six minutes long so it's not like yeah. a but it's a shot you do I mean I have an extremely flimsy formal Little tiny bit. I had one year of film classes in college, right? Long time ago. And some of the films that are sort of like, what is his name? Eli Roth, who did it. You can tell he plucked out the most iconic, what are considered some of the most cinematic moments in old I'm like, the teens. Yeah, from the teens and the 20s movies from then. And uh, plunked them in there, you know, as because it's a propaganda film. Unless you know that. All you're really watching is, like, this guy in a tower shooting a bunch of people. And, you this, know what I mean? It's a basically based, this character in the movie who is a sniper. It's basically a film of... a German about, soldier. He became a war hero in the movie. Um, and was he a real guy? He's trapped in the tower. Is in, he a real in, guy, in a, though? Is that based on a real story? They said what it was based on, that um, some people were trapped on a mountain and a soldier guy saved them, rescued them, and then there was an actual movie made of that, and the guy starred in it. That was in real life. So this is like a German soldier in a tower in an Italian town. And, of course, the resistant Italian and American forces, the Allied forces, are down below, and he basically kills them all and is, you know, like, for Germany. And he becomes a hero, and then they make a movie of it, and he plays himself in the movie, and then in this movie... He is playing. He's you know he's the soldier, and then they have the premiere of his movie, and this is the movie. And the movie itself is is is, you know, it was actually well done. Well done, yeah. It was, I mean, it wasn't like a cheap. No, no, thing. no. It was like a big elaborate production with like. And like I said, if you haven't seen any of those old movies, you wouldn't understand why it's good. Yeah, exactly. You you know, so. and it and it really looks like an old movie. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, so yeah, that's Nation's Pride, the film within the film, and you can see the whole thing. It's about six minutes. Then there's the original Inglorious Bastards, which is not exactly what it says. It's not the whole of the original movie. It's like a tribute to the movie. It shows you the trailer, which is almost the whole movie. Because it's like, what do we want? It was like five minutes. It's really long. fun though to see it because I remember it was one of those movies I did watch back in the eighties a lot because we had a VHS of it, and it. I remember it being awesome. But when I saw the trailer... What's VHS, Grandpa Paul? <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the trailer, obviously it wasn't as awesome as I remember. Yeah. It's, like I said to you, it's literally an episode of the A-Team, but a war version of it. It does seem that way, with the crazy kind of porno People music flying and off stuff. things and throwing themselves <laughs> off stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's like... And there's also a little look behind the scenes of... They got some of the people who were responsible for the original and had them in the new movie. 
so there's a couple of behind the scenes stuff on that um this is one of the best features on the disc i think and it's uh, quentin tarantino's camera angel yeah and it's something i've never seen before and it's the lady who does the clapperboard on the entire picture you call it a clapperboard in England. It's mm-hmm. called a clapperboard. Yeah, well, she. That means at the beginning of every single scene, she steps in and gives the name marker. of the scene or the number of the scene, and then goes. And she has her own little. So the scene is like thirty-nine FL. She might say, and she's Italian. I think Italian yeah. or French. Italian, thirty-nine. You know, fucking lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever. She will make up a phrase for every single one, and there's a bunch of them. Like, she, she even has El uh, Er for Eli Roth at one point. Right, she, right. She goes through all kinds of and like. You know, thirty-three fuckers in a row. And yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. And it's just one after the other. <laughs> after the other. That's and it's really doing. funny, like because you you think you know the person who does that job, it could be quite tedious, and she's obviously making the most of it. Correct. So um, there's also uh, like a, what is the other thing? It's not it's not listed on it because they just say and more. But there's another thing to do with behind the scenes. Oh, Sally. Is yeah. It? Sally is the name of the woman who edits all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. So while they're filming, either at the end of a scene, when they, when he's done cut or whatever. Or if they mess up. The actor or somebody. Or he'll stick his face in front of the camera and say, hi, Sally. And so, like, she's sitting there in the editing booth alone. So even Mike Myers turns to the camera right. and starts talking to Sally <laughs> yeah. at some point. So, yeah, and it shows you a little uh, montage. It's another fun kind of little glimpse behind the scenes. Because I can imagine this lady just sat for hours on end. Because they do, don't they, on the Avid machines. Yep. And then it'd be a bit of levity in her day, because that is another job. No kidding. But it's tedious. Um, so there's, there's also a, a film poster gallery tour, which is quite informational and interesting. It's about the... There's a lot of movie posters in the movie. The guy's voice kind of almost put me to sleep, though. Yeah, but I really thought it was interesting because... <laughs> it was, it, it's, very interesting. Because nothing, like the guy said, nothing in Tarantino's movies is coincident, coincidental. Everything's really thought out. Because he's a, he's he's into cinema in all aspects. So there's all these movie posters splattered around in the movie, that are for real movies, around those times. And he explains them all and where they except came for from. the one starring the film star in the movie. Yeah, uh, and there's also more because it says it and more. So there's some more stuff. <laughs> which I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think we went through the game. There's a game, a Nazi game. It's, not, it's, just, it's no, it's just it's a, a game. quiz game. It's a quiz game about the movie. About the movie, which is fun. It's kind of like Public Enemies. So quiz. don't play it until after you've no. seen it. The, on the Universal Public Enemies we watched the other week, it had a quiz. It's, it seems like it was made by that, them people. It's fun. They're fun to play, aren't they? You know. And, uh, most people don't want to watch a movie and then be tested. No. So no. I, I kind of like messing with them, but you know, uh, and you can save the game and come back at any time and finish it off. Um, then there's uh, the pocket blue thing, which is use your iPhone as a remote control, which we know about. There's no U-Control on this, hmm. and no commentary by Tarantino, which is kind of common. He doesn't really do a lot of commentaries. But yeah, he's known for not having lots of... I'm surprised there were as many extras as there were. And then there's the... Yeah, it says here, the BD Live is the Killing Nazis Trivia Challenge. That's what it go. was called. And there's access to the BD Live, which is nothing to do with... It's just, you know, you can yeah. go on the BD Live site. So... That is everything plus a digital copy on a second disc. Um, I've seen this for seventeen ninety nine on Blu-ray. Awesome. It absolutely has to be on your shelf. If you're a Tarantino fan, especially. If you're into war movies, especially. Not sure about that one. I have a friend who won't watch anything that's a period piece. He told me the other day, 
I watched that Inglorious Bastards movie. I really liked it. I said, don't tell me anything else because I hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> so that's interesting too because he ordinarily would not watch a movie that's set in the 40s. So, I don't know. That's such a weird rule. Not to watch yeah, period yeah. pieces. Because you know what? If a movie was made last week, that's it's a period piece. Because it was, you know what I mean? You could say like... Um, 2000. It's a, it's a movie that's not about now. I think he doesn't like... History like the eighties? Does that count? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Do I, don't like know what the, I don't know what the hard and fast rule is, <laughs> but there is a rule there of some kind. I don't know. I have to ask him. Anyway, um, so that is uh, Inglorious Bastards. It's epic, fantastic. I highly recommend it to anybody. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but I have few people. any cinema movie fans watch it. Hmm. But yeah, average Joe public probably thinks it's a terrible movie. But um, I don't think they think I don't think they'd give it the time of day. Well, you know the you know Brad Pitt's little name on the front that I don't like being there because I don't think he. Even should though have. we're huge fans of Brad Pitt, yeah. that still seems obnoxious. But that might sway people, and the picture of him on the back might sway people who ordinarily. That's wouldn't what I said. It. That is going to sell that movie to a lot of people who will not like it. Right. <laughs> But I'm not one of those people I really liked it. I, I mean, really liked I it. liked it as so much I could actually say it's one of my favorite movies of this year. I mean, I, I look. I was looking back the other day at everything we'd seen, and it really is up there. Nice. So um, I am not surprised. Yeah. It is Gwen Tarantino. So thanks to Universal for the uh, disc, uh, and you can go on aschoolie.com and enter some contests. We've got some contests up there at the moment. Next week's um, Blu-ray review will be Mike Judge's Extract, which is new comedy from Mike Judge with uh, Jason Bateman. Awesome. Um, and, and it won't ben be at Affleck. the norm. Yeah, it won't be at the normal time because we're doing a Christmassy thing next week. So we. Saying it's on Tuesday, right? So you might not be, able, you won't get the download Sunday as normal, you'll get it on Tuesday. Um, but the week after will be back to normal. Um, so yeah, that's extract. Uh, movie re- recommendations for this week you haven't got any, and I, yeah, but you're always first, so give me a chance. <laughs> okay, mine are the original Inglorious Bastards because it is what inspired Tarantino to make this movie. I mean even though it's not this movie. And I said earlier, it is a bad movie, but it is a fun movie. And I watched it so many times when I was a kid. You might have to have the nostalgia for it to be any good, though. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't, but it is appeal- fun to didn't look watch. appealing to me It is at fun all. to watch something that inspired somebody. Except they had it. that guy from Pitch Black in it who I really like. Kinda. He's not great, but I liked him in Pitch Black. And the other movie uh, I wanted... I was trying to think of a movie that dealt with cinema, in a way, and a movie... F- from uh, 1992 Cinema Paradiso which I really really enjoyed it was an Oscar winning movie at the time you'd never seen it yet mm. it's about kind of uh, two boys growing up around a cinema in, in Italy it's it's really interesting movie it's um, one of those uplifting kind of inspiring movies you know nice. um, and I couldn't think of a lot of movies that took place around a cinema like this movie does in Glorious Bastards you read the one with uh Truman, you know where. Yeah, you have. Yeah, what was that one called? I forget. Yeah, I forget too. The one. The something. It was the name of the theater. Yeah, I can't remember. The Enterprise or the. (laughs) The Enterprise. That would be a space movie. Yeah, I know which one it is. Where where they doing all that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but there aren't many when you try and think. I mean, there probably are. 
but it just isn't I mean there's movies with theatres in them one I remember very particularly is True Romance you know because they go and see the Kung Fu Double Bill thing yep um, but yeah, I, I, try, I was trying to think of one around a cinema. So they're, they're mine. Cinema Paradiso and uh, original Inglorious Bastards. And I'm going to say just what you just said. Uh, true Romance. I think. I don't think. I know it's my favorite movie that has anything to do with Quentin Tarantino. He wrote it, but it's absolutely my favorite of them all. Um, it has... It's your, favorite, it's your favorite Tony Scott movie that Quentin Tarantino wrote. <laughs> is it my favorite Tony Scott movie? Because it's the only... Uh, I like Man on Fire. But yeah. it would still be my favorite one, yeah. Because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. True Romance. It's a classic. Absolutely. It's got everything to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you gotta see it. Um, it's got some violence and stuff. It's got a fantastic fight between Alabama and Tony Soprano. <laughs> yeah, Tony Soprano's it. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, and my other one... I just can't think of another one. I just want certain people to watch this one. You like Kill Bill? I do like Kill Bill a lot. But but there you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people should see Kill Bill. I like Kill Bill because of the woman revenge thing. So, yeah, I'll say Kill Bill 1 and 2. I like Kill Bill because it's also, because it's epic. Because it's epic. You put them both together, because it isn't two films. It's It's massive. Yeah, it's really a good journey. Yeah. All right, then. So I'll... I'll, I'll stick with you. that. All right. So, games and a scully stuff for this week. Uh, interestingly enough, I've been playing a game on the Xbox 360 called The Saboteur, which takes place, hmm, in... German-occupied France in the World War II? Exactly. Now, how, <laughs> how did that happen this week? I think it was supposed to be an Inglorious Bastard game, and then they didn't get the rights to it, and then they had to redo it. That's my thinking. Anyway, uh, it's The Saboteur. It's, uh, I've talked about it a little bit last week, but I've been playing it this week because it came out on Tuesday. It's like a... What would you say it is? Because you saw me playing it. You've, you've actually seen... Kind of like a little adventure game. You go do stuff. It's like... It's an open world yeah. game. But I mean, the thing is, you get told to do something. You go over here and kill that guy or blow something up. Then you come back over here and do this and they tell you to go do that. And then you come back over here and you steal a car and you get a car and stuff. And I am—I refuse to use your what you're going to say about it. I'm just saying it's that kind of game. And there's yeah. a story that you yeah, move along in it. What, what's good? Yeah, I mean, this is a game that you saw me playing mm-hmm. for quite some time. What do you... Uh, you feel it was good or bad? I don't know if it's good. It seemed a little bit... Um, um, dummy down just a little bit. Didn't seem that difficult. When you're going to do a mission and you're going to... You know, it's pretty much late. I'm right at the beginning, though. If you're supposed you to be to... on... A, yeah, but you're asking me what I saw. And I'm saying... if you're I mean, you were still a... seeing tutorial kind of stuff. That one where I had to go and assassinate Yeah, and somebody. the ledge is already is highlighted in red. Yeah. And... It kind of walk, holds your hand, but I am right at the beginning. I'm assuming that's why. Hmm. I think it probably stayed It does have way. an awesome vibe to it, It I has think. a good... It looks fantastic. I think it looks... I mean, I it's got its little glitches. The birds flying kind of went right through the car and... Yeah. People look a little bit, when they're talking, their contrast is a little bit off. They don't really blend. But then you've got the whole black and white and color thing going on, so it may just be the way it is. Which we have to explain is, like, parts of Paris, or France, it's mainly in Paris, actually. Parts of Paris that are Nazi-occupied, and you're, you're, you're a saboteur who's actually a revolutionary, like a, what do you call that, the underground... But you're Irish. Yeah, well, you're in charge of this group of... 
uprisers who are trying to get rid of the Nazis in their own particular way by doing small little acts on the town, you know, to get them out of there. So whenever you claim back a part of the city, that city turns colour. Whereas if the Nazis own it, it's not exactly black and white, but it's... It's black and white with little highlights of of light and red, yellow and red. Yeah, so it's an interesting stylistic thing. Now, it does make it a little bit harder to play, because you'll find that most of your missions are going to be taking place in the black and white parts of town because you're gonna that's where you're going to be going to take those parts back. Well, kind of adds like a darker kind of less interesting look in mm-hmm. a way because like a majority of the time you're playing in this dark, uncolored world, you know. So I did find that kind of... It wasn't as fun after a while. I was like, I wish this part was color because it looks so good, you know. Right. But it's not going to be until... But that's um, your motivation. Yeah, your motivation is to colour the whole world. <laughs> right, right. Um, and it's voice acted kind of badly, I thought. Kind of. You know, it's kind like, of utilitarian. It's not like Inglorious Bastards. It's like everybody's American with a phony accent. With like, the... With like the... Um, version of what we think of as an Irish accent or yeah. as a French accent. It's pretty badly voice acted. I have to say that. It just seems bad. But in that kind of game, it's, it's, it's a fun game. Now, I was doing a mission last night when you fell asleep and then went to bed. That it mission, must have been really good. That mission I, I was doing, do you remember where I had to go to the red light district and there was this perverted yeah, yeah, yeah. Nazi guy who was a Nazi general who's like... Likes to dabble in the bullying talent. The, yeah, he hurts them and stuff. So you had to go and take him out. And this stealth element, I find really clunky. Wait. Like, it's not enough that he's a Nazi. Let's just lay... To really make him a bad guy, he beats up on women. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not enough that he's just a Nazi. No. We want to make him, like, seem like a real prick. But there's, like, this stealth element to the game where you can, like, kill a Nazi and then wear his uniform. Right, right. right. Which is, like, cool, I think. But the way it kind of works... Now, when I'm wearing his uniform, now, wouldn't you think I could just walk up to Nazis and as long as I didn't say anything, they would be all fine and dandy with me because I'm wearing... Well, that's not how it works. It's like a weird mechanic where when you go near one, even wearing a Nazi uniform, they get suspicious and if you stay near them long enough, they blow a whistle. Now, I don't like that because... Yeah, what's the point of even doing it? What's the point in even being disguised? Why don't you just, you know... And you're not talking about standing there for half an hour. You're talking about as soon as One you second. walk past them, they're like, boop, 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 and yeah, they're, they're like, shooting at you. Yeah, like, so that was frustrating for me because I last night, I literally, when you actually went to bed, for half, I've still not done that mission, for <laughs> half an hour, I was, oh, crap, now they know I'm here, running away, waiting for a while until the heat clears off, go and try it again, same thing happens. You know, I wasn't getting into a... So, you know. Plus, every time as you're running away, as soon as they've they've got the heat off you, your uniform falls off. And you, mm, you, have you have to go, go kill, kill another Nazi to get the uniform. Yeah, it's real. Now, I'm, I, I'm assuming I wasn't doing it wrong because they told me what to do. You've just got to be really sneaky. Like, I think you've got to walk, like, one step at a time. Like, or maybe you, know. you are doing it wrong. But uh, anyway, the, and then I was thinking, maybe I can do this a different way and go up on the roofs and snipe this guy. But no, you can't because your, your specific instructions were, when you kill this guy... You have to tell him the name of the guy who wanted him dead in his right. ear. So you have to do it at close range, which... So do you find this a game you will pursue until it's done, or will you crap out on it, probably? 
Uh, I don't. I don't know if I'd finish it or not. It's it's still hanging. You know, uh, one of the awesome things is the music in the cars. I really like when you're driving a car. Plays the mm-hmm. old nineteen um, forties big band and big stuff. band stuff. It's really cool sounding uh, music. Um, don't know if if the stealth element of it, which I feel is like not very good. If if a lot of the missions depend on that and not running and gunning, then I think I wouldn't play it as much. You know, I want to like shoot some stuff as well which hasn't happened yet do you think they were doing that just to make it more challenging or what well he's a saboteur I guess he's supposed to be sneaky and stuff isn't he you know? no but why make it so that they can identify you I don't know if make you're it dressed harder. up because I in any other game where you can do stealth like Splinter Cell or Metal Gear Solid you're in Lego you, Lego Star Wars Lego Indiana Jones if you steal you, a, get, you get that hat on nobody, nobody knows who you are forever like, you know you can as long as so I feel that's how it should be in here, but if you think about it, wouldn't that be really easy? Because you'd just kill one Nazi and be a Nazi the entire game and just, you know, fine. You I guess, just... but they could tweak it a bit so it's not quite so... It's a bit too... Yeah, if you lingered around them for long periods of time or walked straight up to them and said something to them, then yeah, I would understand. Not if I'm, like, walking with my back to some guy, walking really slowly like they tell me to, with the button press which makes him walk like a Nazi, apparently. He kind of walks a bit... I'm doing that. My back is towards him. And then whoop, whoop. the guy's exclamation mark point thing is up and everybody's on me. Like I'm like, hey, hold on. All you, all you saw was my back and my coat. Do I look so American? I'm dressed like so a Nazi. Irish? I'm walking like a Nazi. They must just smell the Irish guy, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's the saboteur. It's um, kind of fun. It's it's well made and everything. I just don't know. It's just that one thing that kind of niggles yeah. me. It might actually... Quit, quit me playing the game if it carries on like that. Um, so, probably a rental. I've also been playing 1 vs. 100 this week, which oh. is now back on Xbox Live, because it went away for a while. This is season 2 of 1 vs. 100. And you can get achievement points this time, which is kind of cool. Really? And they're not particularly hard to get. I've got... I only need one of them. Um, and it's free to play. If you're an Xbox Live Gold member, it's free. Oh, so. good. And it's on every single night now as well from 7pm Central Time until about 11.30pm Central. And it's on every night of the week, seven nights a week. So you can play the entire time if you want to. Um, I usually Have you been the one? No. Nope. I've been playing an hour. Like, I, I always play Call of Duty at night, like at 9.30. I've been playing from 8.30 till 9.30 on 1 vs. 100, then skipping into Modern Warfare, so... It's fun, it's still fun. It's like a, it's just a yeah, yeah, trivia. It's real casual. Like you can just you know sit back. We all have enough trivia in our brains to don't really know. have to even hold the controller because you just you only have to press three buttons. So you just kind of stick it on the desk and just you know I, I like it and it's free. If you happen to have an additional Xbox 360 hooked up to your monitor at your desk with your computer, yes, you could. But <laughs> a lot of people actually have them hooked to their television in the other room. Now, I've mostly been playing this week, uh, again, Modern Warfare 2 online. I prestige this week, so I've gone past level 70, which mm. is the maximum level. So I've started again. You can prestige 10 times. The prestige? That's a good movie. Correct. Um, anyway, I prestige on that. And the, there was a lot of glitches in Modern Warfare 2, which had pre- pretty much ruined the game the tail end of last week. There was this glitch where if you held a rocket launcher in your hand in a particular way and then switched your d-pad quickly when you died when somebody shot you you exploded like a nuclear bomb and everybody died 
Right. There was a glitch that somebody had found, and I never did it, but I was in many games where people were doing it. So I was shooting them, and everybody was dying. I was like, what the hell is going on? Then I realised there was this glitch. Well, they fixed it fairly quickly, so it's been patched now, so... You can't do it. Is it really... People exploit things, don't they? Like the second they find it, they just ruin it for everybody. Yes. So it was completely ruined for a few days, and now it's fixed. Um, so, you know, kudos to them for fixing it so quick, because they don't really have to. Really. I mean, yeah, they've already they sold the game. It. Well, they've already sold the game. You don't yeah, really but, have to do anything. Yeah, but still. And the other game I want to mention, which is a game that's not out yet. I have no idea when it's coming out. But it's a very interesting game to me, and it's called Chime. And it's by a company called Zoe Mode, which they're making this game, which is a cross between Tetris and Luminous. Mm-hmm. And the music is by, like, the Chemical Brothers, Moby, different big artists. Who've, everybody has contributed to this game, and this game, the pro, some of the proceeds of it is going to charity. So it's like a... it's. It's, they've got a website. It's like onebiggame.com or something. But it's a, the, this is the first in a series of games that's going to make money for charities. So when you buy it for $10 on Xbox Live or whatever it costs, I think it, I think they said 80% of it goes to charity, mm. which is good because I think it, it, it tells you which charities it's going to. Anyway, people like Moby and that give the music for free, you know, into the game. So, And it looks like Tetris. It's kind of mm. like a side-on Tetris where... The blocks don't fall. So you've got a you've got a, a grid. And then you've got Tetris blocks. Now, you can put them where you want, but you have to fill the whole grid. Right. You know, like, they're mm-hmm. not falling. Here's, here's a thing, put it in. And every one you place, a bar goes along like Luminez. And when it hits it, it plays a portion of the music. Like Moby's Oh Yeah is on there. Right. So you're kind of building the music track as you go along, but you're also trying to fit all the pieces together and actually complete the grid. Can you move them after you've placed them? I do not know. I only saw. Just a, be... I just saw a gameplay video, it's and that's what easy. it looks like. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't think you can move them after you've placed them. Probably you probably have to. Now you make me want to play Tetris. Do I have it on anything except my old DS? You can have it on Facebook. Tetris. They've True. got the official Tetris on Facebook. I've played it a few times. It's quite okay, good. can we finish this up now, then? No. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Chime. I have n- no idea when it's coming out, but if you go on Twitter, you can follow Zoe Mode, which is the maker of the game, and they've got a lot of news about it. Um, it says winter 2009, so I'm assuming this month on <laughs> so Xbox Live. Maybe next week. is. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be close, so, you know, just keep an eye on it. It's going to come on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network, I think. Um, so yeah, that's uh, games for this week. Next week, there's literally nothing coming out. You know, when Good. I usually say what's coming out, I don't think there's anything coming out. There might be. Could be that one. Could be Chime. Could be Chime, but yeah. That, so that's me. What have you got for this week? A supper. What's for supper? Do you know what's for supper? Curry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to have curry with beans in it. And the X Factor. Sounds kind of and, and the X Factor, yes, it'll be delicious. Um, I made some little flatbread thingies, and we're going to have some pilaf rice, curried as well. I don't really have anything else. got a headache, so, you know. You don't have anything else? You've not been sewing things? I've been sewing things. I've yeah. been making, I've made 18 hand-sewn stockings for people for gifts this year. 
Uh, my little thumb is getting kind of like a callus on it, actually. You've been so wrapping presents? I made, I wrapped one present. Oh, two presents. One big present. It's not as much fun as you'd think, though, because someone in this house insists that what they get for Christmas is exactly what they say they want for Christmas. Therefore, it is not fun when it comes to Christmas. The package you requested is now under the tree, and you know this because you're the one who took it from the porch. When it was delivered, you ordered it. I liked how you, you paid didn't even for open it, it with my money. No, I didn't open it. It's in this big messy box. Just, just wrapped the entire. I just box. wrapped the whole Amazon box because I figured you're, all I'm giving you is basically the ritual of opening it on Christmas Day. Correct. There's another one under the tree though you haven't ever really examined. So I don't examine that one. You don't know Christmas. what it is. P.S. I've been making uh, stockings and sewing them you know stitching them together i've cut up stuff like some of my clothes and some sheets and all kinds of stuff piecing together fabric and they're not good or anything i mean they're good because i i think they're charming and sweet but charming charming. i am not a seamstress by any means but they're fun i'll take pictures of them and post them on my my website at sidtalk.com that's c-i-d-t-a-l-k dot com (laughs) other than that I got nothing. You just said C-I-D-T-L-K dot T-A-L-K. Oh, did you? C-I-D-T-A-L-K dot com. This is my NPR voice. That's C-I-D-T-A-L-K dot com. Okay, so on on the subject, is that everything? Yeah, well, I'm sure there's more happening in my life than that, but... On the subject, so thank you for listening. Um... I want to remind you about ascully.com, A-S-C-U-L-L-Y.com, <laughs> and SidTalk.com, as you just said. We're also on Twitter. You can catch us there. Facebook, Xbox Live, YouTube mini-reviews, which should be resuming because we fixed your yes. webcam problem. Um, so, yeah, check out SidTalk's YouTube. Yeah, thing, go thing to YouTube do. and look up SidTalk, C-I-D-T-A-L-K, and you'll find it. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast. Go to ascully.com, click on the word podcast. You can subscribe through iTunes Music Store on that link on the links, Zoom Marketplace or RSS feed. Just subscribe with anything, or just listen to it on the page. Um, there's Correct. all all 100 episodes uh, available dun, 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 dun. for your listening pleasure. You can also email feedback to me aschoolyaschoolie at aschoolie Do you ever get feedback? Yes, I do actually, oh. quite often. You and should you should mention it and let people feel. Oh, what about the thing that you sent to the dude and the we're going to mention that? When it happens. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, you can leave and don't send, don't ever send Sid Talk emails because she hates you all. <laughs> I don't hate any, well, I hate BJ Novak. But other than that, <laughs> I love the show. <laughs> if BJ Novak would like to send me some feedback, be, be like, sure to tell me. Let me just put it this you. way. Right? You, lo- you like The Office. I love The you Office. You watch it every week. Yep. BJ Novak is the director of The Office. He brings you The Office. He every writes week. it. Yeah. I understand. And you hate him. I don't hate him. He brings him. you enjoyment every I don't hate him. This is not fair on the guy. There's some propaganda that's leaked <laughs> into my brain as to why I have this negative. But then then that what that tells me is he's such a fantastic actor. Oh, he, that his he character has, is so good. He's, that's what I'm saying. Him. He's so good in that show that I just hate him by association with that character. So I just want to say um, stay classy Quentin Tarantino and... Uh, <laughs> He could on, you know, that's just, I don't know how he's going to top that one, but he probably will. Probably. And I'm going to say, think for yourself, people, because if you don't do it, I think the Nazis proved it to everyone. Someone else will do it for you. <laughs>